Welcome to the Persons with Lived Experience podcast, inspiring stories for unprecedented times with Dixie and Zona. The reason that the authorities were called was because the neighbors in the apartment complex could hear her throwing me against the wall and hear her screaming and, and knew I was being hurt. And so they were the ones that had originally called. This podcast contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take precautions for yourself. Thank you. I'm Zona. I am a writer, speaker, a person with lived experience of human trafficking and homelessness, a tiny house enthusiast, and a serial foodie. And I'm Dixie, and I'm all about joy, justice, and fair trade fashion. I'm an anti-trafficking advocate, mom of many, and passionate worshiper. And today we have Sonia with us. So Sonia is a people, passion, and encouragement person. So if you haven't heard her story, get ready for today. Uh, She is a speaker, a singer, a musician, a worship leader, a writer, and the founder of 50 Shades of Grace, which is a ministry that helps people deal with the pain of their past and those impacted by physical and sexual abuse. As a human trafficking survivor and a victim of child abuse, uh, Sonia shares her story with the world in a way that tears down the walls of oppression and points people to the hope of Jesus Christ. She is also the the host of a program called Crud Talk, which is where we first discovered her, and where she discusses different topics about biblical insight and how to deal with the hurt and pain in a very healthy way. I so appreciate what you what you're doing, and and I just want to say that up front that it um, I love that, and I feel like you know um, we are partners in it for sure. Um, Anybody that um, talks about this um, stuff, any any things that are are occupying the society that we're living in today and it's crazy times. And so I appreciate what you girls are doing a lot. Um, so my story is this, I'm, um, a wife and a mom, a Jesus girl for sure. And, um, I would say a lot of people know me for, um, my music and things like that, but, but my story is really what has, um, been in the forefront for the last um, decade, I would say. And so, um, I travel and I, and I share this. My story is simply that I was raised, um, by a single mom who was lost and she was very lonely and she found a lot of her worth in men. And, um, she was a very cool lady, very, um, talented woman, but didn't know her own worth. And, um, she started dating a man Um, He was amazing. He was um, my first encounter with a male because I grew up with just a mom and uh, he'd sit on the floor and play Barbies with me. Um, He would um, tickle me. We'd watch Sesame Street. And I remember um, he was the first man that ever said that he loved me. Um, He was the first man that ever said I was beautiful. And I remember thinking to myself, this must be what it's like to have a daddy. And little did I know that his form of love would completely transform my entire life. Um, It started with 
lips that lingered too long, hands that touched places that no five-year-old should be touched and kind of escalated from there. Um, with each touch, he took it further and further and I disappeared. The human part of Sonia just disappeared. Um, some people call that um, survival. I guess that's so, um, although I would just say, somebody asked me, how, how did you feel? What was the emotion happening when you were being so violated in those days? And I, all I can say is I, I ceased to exist. I ceased to be human. Um, and I remember being so terrified that that's probably the, the thing that I remember most. There was one particular um, time that he took it too far. Um, there was a lot of pain. There was a lot of, um, there was some blood and there, he had taken it too far with me. And I, I believe that was the first time that he raped me. And I cried and cried and cried. And I, I feel like he got real scared. Um, I couldn't stop crying. Um, he panicked, I think. And um, the next day he was an, an, an antiques dealer and he would always buy me gifts. And I, I like to share with people that I call those the don't tell gifts, toys, um, candy, um, anything, I, anything that he would think I would like. And so this, um, the very next day he showed up with um, an electronic piano and that was my first musical instrument. Mm. So let that, let that sink in because I sang, y'all. I share, mm -hmm. I, I, I worship, I share Jesus and play piano. That's what I do. Um, so what really should have taken me out, literally put me in the fetal position and not get out, be able to get out of bed would have been the sight and sound of music. Yeah. And that's the very thing that I do today. Um, that just, yeah, that always kind of just like, I just, let's just sit on that for a second. Cause that's what we're talking about here today is, is what God can do. Um, my, my probably lowest point in, in all of the rape and, and the sexual abuse came the day that he allowed other men to come in and watch him torture me. I remember there was, there was money, you know how the sound of paper sounds when it flutters. I remember there was a paper fluttering and it was, it was, it was dollar bills. It was cash or money. I don't know if there, whatever it was. And there was, there was money fluttering. Um, I remember that day specifically because there was a gentleman there. He looked so kind, so nice. Um, I I'm pretty sure he was probably someone's dad or what I would think in my little child brain of what a dad would look like. And he looked at me and then took off his shirt and covered my face and then raped me so he wouldn't have to look at me. And, and that's really how it went. Um, they would pay to watch. And then when they got bored with that, they would, they would take turns hurting me. And, and that went on for a long time, you guys. Um, I remember one day my mom asked me out of the blue, is this guy hurting you? And I was like, yeah, like it shocked me. Yeah. Um, and he went away. And she shortly after that began to blame me because he was the love of her life. And in her hurt and her messed up self, she blamed me for seducing him. She said that he, I must have done something to, a, to, to a, attract his attention. 
Mm -hmm. And so that's when her beatings, she beat me almost every day, severely started. And that went on for a few years as well. Um, Everything that she had experienced in her life, rejection, hurt, and loneliness, she took out on me. Um, She kept a pistol in her top drawer. um, And she would use, the reason I knew that is she would use it to, to beat me frequently um, sometimes on her really twisted days, um, she would make me hold it to my mouth and pull the trigger. And so as a kid, you get this in your brain, as a kid, I just never knew this could be my day. This could be it. I could die today. And the saddest thing for me, you guys, is I was okay with it because anything was better than how I was living. Um, that breaks me. I work with lots of kids. That breaks me every time I think about that the the pressure and the weight of having to navigate those emotions not even understanding what those are not even even just talk about the sexual experience what that was like what is that and it I just um it's ginormous the weight of that is almost impossible to even comprehend for me um and so um, back in those days, I'm an old lady. So back in those days, um, <clears throat> she was keeping me in my room, keeping me away because the beatings, the markings, the bruises that w- were getting too, too, um, visible. So she would keep me home from school. Well, then the school authorities got involved in that. And I remember my sixth grade teacher came to the door. My mom punched her face. Wow. So then <clears throat> the next time, um, she brought uh, a gentleman with her and my mom hated men. They, she, she, she had a very um, bad view of men. I can understand, you know, she, she didn't like them. And so um, she didn't throw him out because she couldn't, but um, she was violent. And, and when I say um, violent, we are so excited for you to save the date for March 30th. 31st and April 1st. No, this is not an April Fool's joke, but we have our very next free training that will be scheduled during that time where we'll be bringing you the latest and best practices from experts in the field that will really help you have things you can implement in your own life to be a safe person, to make your community a safer place, and for you to have a response to fight human trafficking so that we together can end this in our lifetime. So make sure you save the dates, March 30th, 31st, and April 1st, for our next free training. The reason that the authorities were called was because the neighbors in the apartment complex could hear her throwing me against the wall and hear her screaming and and knew I was being hurt. And so they were the ones that had originally called. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another thing I like to, to, to point out too um, was when they questioned me, my mom was allowed to stay in the room and she was kitty, kitty corner to me. So it was me and and then her and the, and the detective and the social worker that is never okay and that is how i was questioned so when he said is she doing this this and this and this what was my answer going to be no, no she is not because she was going to kill me so of course right. i'm going to say no and then i still got beat for that anyway mm-hmm. um, it wasn't even my fault they were there but i got beat for that so I, there was always i was always being beaten she would threaten me if you try to run away i'm going to find you and kill you 
Um, she would scream, choke me, you're a dirty girl, you're worthless, nobody's ever going to love you, on and on. And that is the bombardment that I had as a kid. I just always knew no one was ever going to love me, no one will ever want me. Mm. I knew that. And so that's kind of how I was I was raised. Um, so the detective came, I told him no, she wasn't hurting me, and he left. And the abuse went on for probably another six to eight months past that point. Um, she would take pieces of the phone. You know, back in those days, we had the, the dial and the cord. That's how she kept me from calling for help. She would take a piece of the phone because when, when you do that, there's no dial tone. So the phone doesn't work. And so there was always the threat of, I'm going to do this if you do this. Um, and so... I remember sitting on my little bed. We had a two bedroom apartment, had a twin bed <laughs> sitting on my bed. And I said these words out loud, God, if you're real, help me. Mm. And she came in and beat me the worst she's ever beat me. Yeah. The very next day I snuck out because I was, I couldn't come out of my room or she'd beat me. So whenever she was there, I was not allowed to come out. So I used a little Folgers can, coffee can for my restroom because I didn't dare come out. I kept it in my closet. Um, yes. I had to sneak out for food. Um, and I was starving to death basically is what, and I snuck out that, that day. I was hurting real bad, aching real bad from the beating. And I happened to look at the phone. I don't know why. Something made me go to the phone and I lifted it up. She had forgotten to take a piece of it. So there was a dial tone. And I remember I called the police. I was two weeks away from turning 12 years old. And I called mm. the parent. And when the lady at the police station answered, she, I said, I asked for the detective. And she said, I'm sorry, he's on a call. Well, I was little and I was trying to be an adult. And so I said, could I leave a message? I didn't know what to say. This is an emergency. I need the police here immediately. I didn't know. So I left a message. So what's going to happen if my mom comes home from work and she finds out I called the police? I'm 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 dead. That's what's going to happen. And so I went back to my room and I sat on my bed. She came home from work and the phone rang. And I heard her voice say, "Sonia, your friend is on the phone." And it was real sweet and she never talked sweetly to me. But I didn't come out of my room, so she said it again, "Sonia, your yeah. friend is on the phone." So I opened the door, I went to the phone, and I heard his voice, are you okay? And I said, no. And I hung up the phone, he said, I'll be right there. I walked back, and this is another miracle, because remember what I had said, ladies, what did I say the night before? God, if you're real, what? Help me. Help me. So the other miracle was I turned my back on her and walked back to my room without being hit or she didn't say a word. She didn't touch me. That's a miracle. And I yeah. sat on the bed and just kind of waited to die because I, I didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, a short while later, I heard a lot of commotion at the door, some cursing, some, a lot of stuff going on. And all of a sudden my bedroom door bursts open and there is detective Wakefield. This is a big boy with a mullet like Hulk Hogan. Picture Hulk Hogan in your head because, yeah, that's what the, the time we were living in then. Big boy, da-da-da-da, Detective Wakefield standing there, right? And I always, I want you to get this picture in your head. I was battered 
severely beaten the night before, mm. broken, hunched over, sitting there on the bed, completely not human, stripped of all human emotions, sitting on that little bed. Mm. He didn't have to say a word. I didn't have to say a word. He looked at me and saw me for who I was. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to say anything. We don't have to be anything that other than who we are because God already knows that. Yes. So I would, he took me out of the home. I was placed in, oh, I need to say this part too, because it's so sweet. Um, I hadn't been, been allowed to be outside in months because I was locked in my room and I sat on the steps of my apartment complex with this ginormous man <laughs> and we sat there shoulder to shoulder. And he just kind of put his arm around me and just, just kind of like sat there with me. And I cried and he said, why are you crying? And I said, because I have been outside. And he just sat there, this big, big boy cried with me. I hear a lot of stories of law enforcement not doing well in these situations, but that was not my experience. Um, these officers completely did well by me. Um, this particular one, as a matter of fact, when I got to the police station, they had an old timer there who had desk duty. His name was officer George. And he, he had a little soft spot for me. I'm sure. Can you imagine seeing these cases that these men face every day, these men and women yeah. in uniform face? I mean, I can't imagine it. And he, he went and he said, do you want a Coke? And I said, yeah. So he went and bought me a bottle of Coke and I asked him if I could sit in jail in the jail cell. Cause they didn't have anywhere to put me. So they put me in, they put me, they took me to a police station and I sat in the jail cell and he sat with me on the bed on the cot. And I said, is this what, is this what I am? Am I a criminal? Mm-hmm. And he said, no, darling, you're not a criminal. You're, you're, you're going to do anything that you can do. You're going to be able to do it in your life. And I was like, Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. So that, I just thought of that. That's pretty cool. Officer George. But anyway, I was placed in a group home and the social worker said, I've got a family for you, Sonia. I want you to, I want you to meet them. And I was like, okay. And so I went to meet them and this family um, went to church. They went to church Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. They went to church a lot. And my mom had always um, told me that God's never done anything for us. We're not going to do anything for him. So I was raised anti-God big time. Um, and so I told the social worker, um, they seem nice, but they go to church too much. So no, thank you. And she said, uh, Sonia, I think, I think this is a really good home for you. I think you need to come here. And I was like, okay, fine. So I did. And they were really good. They, they um, taught me what a family was. We ate at dinner table together, which I'd never done my whole life. Um, they brought me to church. I remember going to church and thinking they were a bunch of freaks. First of all, <laughs> smelled really good. And they were super nice. Some of them were super nice. There was a gentleman at the door. His name was Mr. Jean. And he handed me this probably 10 year old cough drop. From the- <laughs> and he said, he handed me this ribbon, this first time visitor ribbon. Uh-huh. And, and he said, you are, you have the, be- how do you say it? You have the most beautiful smile I've ever seen. And this is really critical to a person who's not human and who's been through trauma. He never, his eyes never left here. He kept looking from here to here. His eyes never went below this level. Mm. That's huge. He was the first man in church I ever met. 
He was at the door that day. Critical for me. Um, people were weird. Uh, they, the, the, the uh, ladies would hold their husbands, pull their husbands away and they'd grab their kids and pull them away from me. I was, I was a freak. I was somebody that in the church world, Ooh, she's trouble without knowing my story, without knowing what had truly happened. The truth. I was the kid that they didn't want their kids to hang out with. I was the one that they kind of just held their husbands away from because I had no, I had too much information. I was probably um, a little too fresh or loose for them. And so that kind of set well with me too, right? That kind of set well with me as, as well. And so I had, uh, was about a month of being in this foster home that um, the youth group there went to a David Wilkerson crusade. David Wilkerson is the gentleman who wrote The Cross and the Switchblade. Back in the day, it was really controversial mm -hmm. and really worked with gangs and really hurt, hurt kids, okay? He was preaching and he said, everybody's got a choice to make. You either go your way or you, you go God's way. And something started tugging in my heart. I got ticked off. Can I say that? Is okay? Yeah. I got ticked <laughs> off at God. If you're mm -hmm. loving, how could you have let that happen to me? That was my mother. That was, how could you let those men do that to me? Right. See, because I had to get real. Mm -hmm. I came to Jesus just as I am. All the good, the bad, the ugly. There wasn't much good. So I thought there was not much good. And I got real and I told him the truth. Hmm. And when I did that, he could start to heal. That hard shell of hurt and betrayal and complete distrust cracked. And then the light could start to get through. And I feel yeah. like a lot of people have that same condition where, yep, I tried to trust somebody before and look where it got me. Yep, I did too. I did too. But Jesus is the only one that will ever tell the truth. He's the only one that will ever stay. Everybody else leaves, but he's the one who will stay. He doesn't change the rules. He doesn't say, ah, I love you now, but I'm going to change my mind tomorrow. No, nope, he doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. So as the preacher was saying, all of this information, you got a decision to make. You got a choice to make. I got real with God. I gave him it all. I said, okay, here's the deal. If I trust you, it can't depend anything on me because I'm going to screw it up. So it has to be the truth of what you're saying, mm -hmm. that you will forgive me and love me no matter what, or this ain't going to work for me. Yeah, That's literally what I'm in my little, I had turned 12 by that time. In my little 12-year-old head, that's what I was telling them. It's either you are going to do what you say or forget it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I just remember he said, if you want to give your life to Christ, come forward. And I literally, I felt like I floated to the front. <laughs> I landed on my knees. I was in, a, in an arena with thousands of teenagers. And I literally did not care about a single one of them except what I was talking to God about. And I went to my knees and I asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Mm. When, I, when I looked up from praying and doing that, my entire youth group was there. And they had been praying for that for me as well. And in that group was Pastor Ricky McCotty Hot Hot Bruner. So Rick, my husband, has been with me since before I was human. In fact, Rick was the only young boy, picture a high school boy, who I was working in the nursery volunteering one, one Sunday evening. 
early, early on. And one of my first memories was Rick coming to the door. And we had those double doors. They look like horse doors. You know what I'm going to talk yeah. about? Horse right, church. And the Dutch he doors. Over and he said, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. He leaned over and he was like, what's your deal? What's your story? <laughs> Everybody's saying, everybody saying stuff. What's your story? And he listened mm. to the whole thing, to the really uncomfortable parts. Can you imagine a 16, 17-year-old boy, like, listening to that and, like, not, you know, I just told him. And so that, it's really cool, too. So fast forward, um, things have been hard. I've, I've done really wonderful things. I've done some really bonehead things, too, because I was learning and having to reprogram. Jesus had to reteach my, my, my brain, my heart, what love was, what it isn't and what it is. So there was a major learning curve. I feel like I still am learning. I feel like that's still part of it, right? Um, but as I've learned to, I came to Jesus given in my crud, right? I came to him with that, the good, the bad, the ugly, the honest truth. And I gave him all of it and he received it and took that. And that's the difference. I didn't hold anything back. I trusted him. And can you imagine somebody that, somebody that's been through what I've been through to trust someone you can't even see, Yeah. but I did. People ask me all the time, how did you know you could? I don't know. I, I can't answer that. In words, I just knew it. In the deepest part of my being, I knew it. My soul, I knew it. And we've been together <laughs> ever since. We've been walking together ever since. So mm, That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. This podcast is brought to you by the generous supporters of bringfreedom.org. You can make a tax-deductible donation on the website or on Venmo at Bring Freedom. These donations go to support the persons with lived experience who bravely share their stories here and also toward the creation of resources to end human trafficking in your community. Oh. Um, well, we're very grateful. <laughs> for you sharing. And I, I think too, also, we want to kind of talk about like how that has progressed because you've been helping other people mm-hmm. kind of go through their crud and, and live authentically yeah. um, so that their stuff isn't holding them back right. from who they are and who they're supposed to be. So, so how do you transition from, you know, I'm, I'm starting this walk with Jesus to uh, where you are now and helping people the way that you do now. Well, one thing, one thing I would like to say is there are a lot of people that will write to me um, and say, I want to do what you do. And I love that, but I had to do the hard work first. And I want to say, I want to start by saying I had to deal with my crud first mm-hmm. in a healthy way yeah. and have time proven a a time proven walk with Jesus where I wasn't doing drugs one day and then mysteriously not doing drugs the next day. I'm not judging that. I'm saying we have a lot of people who get put into the box of you got to help other people because of, because of your story. They're not emotionally ready to help other people. And that gets them in trouble because they have not dealt with their crud. They have not dealt with their hurt. They have not gotten therapy or, or counseling or any of the things that could help them. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they might not even know who God is. Right. And you and I know there is no way I could be sitting here today without Jesus Christ. There's no way I could do what I do. And so mm-hmm. I, 
I think also with that, it's like, um, I feel like the enemy will try to get you somewhere before you're ready. Ooh, you know, so he'll good. see, he'll mm. see the place that you're actually called to and be like, well, let's put him there now. And then it kind of all falls apart. And then right. we almost come back and we go, see, that wasn't what I was supposed to do, or that's not who I am, or that's not the kind of work that I'm actually supposed to be in. So then it's almost like we kind of go underground. Right. Again, right. Or doubt sense. God or doubt yeah. God in that. Right. Because it, I thought you called me to it. No. So I say first things first how you transition is you do your work on your personal person (laughs) you do the work in your own heart and mind that Mm -hmm. means you get out the crud by dealing with it and looking at that pain um a lot of what trauma victims go through has to has to do with i call it i have i have three things one is the blame game and that's really what what satan wanted me to stop i call them these are the stoppers for people's crud He tries to stop us because if he can keep us in the dark, then no light can get there. And that's what he wants, right? So the first one I would say is the blame game. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how hard it's been. You don't know what they did to me. We blame others for the condition of our life now. We blame others. But what I'd like to say is I have a choice, right? Nobody holds a gun to my head to make choices for how I'm going to live and what I'm going to do. Sonia gets to call the shots. And that's the beautiful thing about life is God says, I'll walk with you, but I still get to choose. Okay. I'm not going to hurt other people. I'm not going to hurt myself. I'm going to make wise decisions in my relationships, whatever, whatever it is for, for you, God says you get to choose. You don't blame other people. We really need to start blaming our moms and our dads and our, and our, our siblings. Oh, you know, my mom always loved my sister more. Nope. (laughs) I know that's real and that's okay for you to feel those feelings, but it's not okay to stay stuck there. And so Mm. I always tell people quit blaming everybody else. I own what I did. Yes. Those things happened to me, but there were choices I made as a young adult, as a, as a young teenager that were not God honoring those choices. Yes. People could say, well, you, you were messed up from before. True. But I still have a choice whether to make those decisions or not. Okay. How far do I go in my relationships physically? What do I do? Oh, how do I talk? Do I, who do I hang out with? That's up to me. Right. And so quit blaming everybody else is the first thing, because then you don't take any ownership to what part you play in it in your life. And I own it. Okay. Um, Nobody makes me sin. If I sin, I own that. Right. The next one would be guilt. We carry a lot of guilt, people that have been in trauma, people that have been in addiction, um, people that have maybe, um, maybe they didn't act right in a marriage and, and divorce happened or something, whatever the case may be, we carry a lot of guilt for the things we should have done and guilt for the things that we should have done, but didn't do. Mm-hmm. And so carrying that guilt doesn't do anything, right? It doesn't do anything. It stops us. It keeps us stuck in that so I, you know those little rats why people have those as pets those little gerbils those little hamsters are so ugly i don't know why people sorry people but i don't know why people are like keeping those as pets but they get on the wheel right yeah. and they run 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 but they never get anywhere and that's what guilt does we carry the guilt. oh i've blown it again i've messed up again i've done it i'm me 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 and our focus mm-hmm. is on us and not on the one who can do anything about it which is jesus Right. So carrying around guilt does no good. You need to admit it, confess it, and then get on to living. 
that's the, that's the second thing. The third thing I would say is probably the hardest part for victims, um, for anybody dealing with hurt or crud. Okay. Um, the inability to forgive. Yeah. It's the inability to forgive. And that is the hardest thing. Cause we all know if, if you, if you have any faith based knowledge at all, or if you're a Christian, you know, that we're supposed to forgive everybody, but it's a little bit easier to hang on to the anger. Why? Cause then we're one up on the person who hurt us. Yeah. It's almost like a leverage. We hold on to it. People say, Oh, I can't get past it. I can't move on. Yes, you can. The real truth is you don't want to. We do what we want to do and that we don't, we don't. So if you're struggling with forgiveness or the inability to forgive someone, letting, letting that go, it could be that you're choosing it. Right. And everybody's I know like for, like, ah. in my case, um, I remember like I knew that I couldn't imagine forgiving forever. So I gave myself a parameter where like every morning I would wake up and I'd be like, okay, I choose to forgive my traffickers today for the whole day. That meant that it wasn't like the actions that they had taken wasn't going to affect my day. It wasn't going to affect how I made my future decisions. It wasn't going to affect how I related to others. It wasn't going to affect like um, even like how I dealt with myself, if that makes any sense. Yeah. But it was like so much more. I was able to wrap my head around, okay, today, for yeah. today. I choose to forgive. And I just kept doing that and doing that and doing that until I no longer had to have that conversation with myself yes. each yep. day. And then I'd be like, no, I'm, I'm good. Like I can, I can forgive. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like the people that were trafficking me, I knew. So it wasn't like there's people that I just never saw again. Right, like right. when I did see them, those would be the days that I'd be like, okay, Zona, we've had this conversation. <laughs> You already chose to forgive them, which means like you can't treat them differently um, now because you've already forgiven them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, you know, and Jesus says that's why we have daily. That's why we are in relationship with him daily, moment by moment. I yeah. mean, I have moments where I think, why am I forgiving them? And then I would think, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's why. That's yeah. why. Oh, yeah. Because I was forgiven. And, and again, it sounds super simple now, but you're talking to a, a woman who has literally given years to it. It's not something that just happened automatic. Oh no. Um, there were a lot, there were a lot of moments and have been a lot of moments over my life where I've had to release it. And what I like to say too about forgiveness is, and this is what God has given me. And this is what I talk about when I go speak. And even in my podcast, anything I'm doing um, forgiveness means that you look at the pain. So you look at it mm -hmm. and nobody wants to do that part because they think la, 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 out of sight, out of mind. I'm, I'm, I'm good today. I'm good today. I just want to stay good. No, mm -hmm. forgiveness means that you look at what they did, really look at it. And then when you're ready, which is what you were just saying, when you're ready, you release them from the debt that you think they owe you. Right. Yeah. And that's what Jesus did for us. Did I owe him a debt? Yeah, for my sin. You better believe I did. Did those men that hurt me owe me something? You better believe they did. Did that Did that mom, my mother, did she owe me something? Yes, she did. Just like I owe every single person I've ever hurt. I Absolutely. owe them a debt, right? Mm -hmm. There's a consequence to actions, right? And so I owe, I, I owe others debts, just like those people that hurt me owed a debt, just like I owe Jesus a debt. 
when I'm ready, I release them from the debt that I think they owe me. Right. And sometimes that means that I have to do it again. Um, sometimes, like you said, you get up in the morning, you think, oh, this one, oh, I got to, I got to have this conversation again. That's totally okay. Why? Because that is in, a, in and of itself, an act of grace and mercy and love dealing with it. That is truly dealing with crud as it comes. Cause life is going to continue to happen. When I had my first, my oldest son is 24. My youngest is 19. When I had my first son, I was ticked. I was shocked at the response. I was like, what is my deal? It was, I call them duct tape moments. God said, we're going to have a little conversation and rip that duct tape off. And I remember sitting in the hospital room. He was in the nursery crying and crying and crying. I couldn't stop crying. I was mad. Why didn't I have a mom and a dad that cried and prayed for me and loved me and had all this like joy for me? Why was I just thrown away like trash? That was my moment to deal with some hurt there again, that crud that was still way, way down. There was a little bit more there that we needed to do. And, and so trusting um, Jesus with that pain, trusting him with that hurt, I think is the ultimate act of faith that you can trust him with it. That's faith. That's, that is truly faith. And so just those three things have really helped me get to a place of healthiness too. And I continue to work. I don't just tell everybody else what they have to do. I do the work as it comes and you keep dealing with life because hurt, hurtful things happen. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. should say this too. A lot of people ask me, what is crud? Sonny, we keep talking about that. What is that? Well, crud isn't sin. Mm-hmm. People think it's sin. It's not. Crud isn't sin. Crud is the leftover emotions from when another human being has hurt us. Now, as hurt keeps happening, layers form. And if you don't and won't deal with your crud, that's what comes out when other hard stuff happens in your life. It's our responses to ourselves and to other people. If we don't deal with it, it can be very, very harmful to ourselves and to others. And so you got to deal with your crud because if you don't deal with it, it's going to deal with you. And so I have learned that. Remember how I came to Christ telling him my, my crud, I was ticked. And so I got real with them right from the get go. And that's really how he's kept me. I can't, I can't BS him at all. I can't, um, I can't try to mock him. If I try to do that, he really puts the hammer down on me and says, no, let's start again, start that conversation again. And, and, and so I've learned that, that I have to be real. And I've been in ministry a really long time helping people. Um, how I did that was I shared my testimony for the first time when I was a teenager then um, I, a pastor would say, hey, would you come here and share? Yep. And so then it just kind of grew. It just grew and grew and grew. And music has been um, a thing that has really a cathartic thing for me. Um, music is just for me and him. And I'll let yeah. people in on our time. So when I'm <laughs> yeah. in worship, I'll be, I'll be singing and doing my thing. And I'll look, oh, there's a room full of people here. I let them <laughs> yeah. in on my time. Does that make sense? It's different yes. than y'all, all, all y'all be quiet in the audience now because the diva's here. She's going to sing and perform for y'all. No, I'm a diva. I can do it. I like to have fun and be fun, but not when it's about him, yeah. not when it's his time, not when it's about him. And so um, I've really tried to keep, I've had a lot of people tell me your worship is like gut wrenching. It's like, it's like kick you in the, the gut. It's oh, wow. because I, I, it's very raw because it's not about anyone. I, I hate to say this because it's so bad, but I don't care about the other people. I do, but I don't. I want them to be set free, but I don't do that. Only Jesus can right. do that. Right. I'm just yeah. a girl, right? So like 
Jesus needs to do that with people. And so, but I think that that's one of those things that is really common in like how we view helping people out of like human trafficking, because we have this mentality that we're going to be Jesus in their situation. Mm-hmm. We're going to save them. They're going to be rescued. They're going to be like all of a sudden, you know, like this little tiny baby in a little bird's nest. And we're just going to scoop them up and then we're going to put them in a new bird's nest. And all of a sudden, everything's going to be great. And the reality is like, like what you're talking about, like um, even in the the foster home that you were in, like you had to make the choices. You had to be empowered to make the choices to go, okay, I'm going to work through this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm going to work through this yeah. stuff and not just like now you're perfectly fine because you're in this new place and you're, you know, now you're safe. It's right. almost like um, it takes out the impact of the work that the Mm -hmm. person that's getting free is actually doing by participating, by Mm -hmm. engaging, by learning those new coping skills, by walking with Jesus. And that's the thing where it's like, Jesus is the only savior. We're not people's saviors. We're we're not their rescuers. We're not their convictors. You know, only Holy Spirit is the convictor. And and when we really like kind of highlight that where it's like the Lord will be as patient with you as you need. As patient with you as you need. And he will let it take as long as it has to because he's not in a hurry. Right, right, right. And that, and that's the thing, too. If somebody if somebody says like I used to get mad at people who their abusers were in their family. OK, and so they see him at family get togethers. Mm-hmm. And I used to get really mad. What are you talking about? Very kind of, and I didn't realize it was a form of judgment. Like I, I was like, what are you talking about? You sit down to dinner with those people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, first of all, it's just what you said. Jesus gets to call the shots with all of that. He's mm-hmm. the one. I mean, I have a lot to say about that, but I don't get, I don't get to tell you or you how you're going to deal with it or the time frame that it's going to take. Nobody right. gets to do that. Um, likewise, the only time, the only addendum I would add to that is I have seen people be stuck mm-hmm. in a place, be given the tools, be given the resources, and they continue to hurt others. Yeah. With their words, with their actions, right? Then that's when a brother or sister in Christ needs to go to them and say, knock it off. Mm-hmm. You either you either knock this off or you won't have access to me or to the to this family. You won't, right? That's the mm-hmm. only time I can I can say um there was a there was a, a woman uh, and I'll, I'll probably get in trouble for this, but there was a woman who had lost a child and and that was 18 years ago. She lost mm-hmm. a child and she was being really hard on the other young moms and the other women getting pregnant in the church 18 years later. Now I don't have any right to discount her pain or right. her, her hurt. But when you are acting wrong to someone else out of that pain, because you haven't dealt with the crud, that's mm-hmm. when a fellow sister needs to come in and say, okay, let's talk. Right. Right. In love. Cause you speak yeah. the truth in love. Right. And so mm-hmm. things like that. But other, other than that, um, most of us are just trying to do the best we can. So if somebody has uh, discovered that they have crud in their life, 
how do they connect with you? Yes. Well, in order to to work on dealing with the crud. Yeah. And so I have a website. It's called soniabruner.com. Real easy to find everything there. I've got articles and my podcast is there and music is there. A lot of people will book me to do some music and then share my story. Um, And there's all different kinds of things. I work with teenagers a lot. Mm -hmm. I love kids. Um, and uh, so I work with a lot of teens. Um, I did my first crud boot camp for male prisoners in Omaha, Nebraska about a year and a half ago, scared to death to do that. Personally, a lot of the men in there probably have hurt women. Um, and the the reason I say that is because they shared it with me. And so, um, that was really interesting. So my website is really critical because a lot of stories come in from, from that. So it's soniabrunner.com. You can find anything you need on there. And you can also contact me there as well. And I have a lot of people who share their stories with me. I get lots of, lots of messages and I love it. I love to hear from people. So I think it is wonderful to have had you here. And we're so grateful that you, um, were brave enough to share your story and to be honest and authentic about where you were and the process that it takes of healing, even in new relationships and even when you are married and even Mm -hmm. after you do have kids. Like I think that different pieces of healing happen when you are in that season of your own life. Mm -hmm. And I think we have an idea sometimes that we're just going to deal with everything all at once and then it's going to be completely done and then we'll never have to deal with that trauma again. And Mm -mm. it's not really how it works. (laughs) Mm -mm. No. No. Anywho, but yes. So thank you so much for being here. We're so grateful to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was was fun to be here today. It was an honor. We are so excited for you to save the date for March 30th, 31st, and April 1st. No, this is not an April Fool's joke, but we have our very next free training that will be scheduled during that time where we'll be bringing you the latest and best practices from experts in the field that'll really help you have things you can implement in your own life to be a safe person, to make your community a safer place, and for you to have a response to fight human trafficking so that we together can end this in our lifetime. So make sure you save the dates, March 30th, 31st, and April 1st for our next free training. Thank you for joining us for the Persons with Lived Experience podcast today. I hope you're enjoying season two of these inspiring stories for unprecedented times. Please share this episode with your community so that we can make more ripples to create waves of change. Thank you.